Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, New Life. All right, well, last week we were in Romans chapter 5. Last week we heard the best possible news anybody could ever hear. We heard that even though all people are born with a sin nature, you remember this? A nature from Adam, passed on from Adam uh, throughout the whole, uh, um, all, all of mankind, even though we have all received a sin nature, even though all people have chosen in their lives time and time again to sin against their creator, even though all people are great sinners, if anyone, everybody say anyone, right? If anyone will turn from their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ, God's son, if anyone will believe that the death that he died was to pay for their sins and that he rose again the third day, God's promise is that he would give that person abundant grace, that he would forgive all their sins, past, present and future, and that they would no longer be identified with Adam and judgment, but now they would be identified with the second Adam, Jesus Christ. They would be identified recipients of eternal life and grace. That was good news last week, wasn't it? Okay, so what does the Father have for great sinners that turn to his Son? What the Father has for great sinners is greater grace, super abounding grace. If you weren't here last week, um, we'll read it again. Look at chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. It says in chapter 5, verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Here it is. But where sin abounded, what's the word? Grace abounded much more. In the original language, grace superabounded. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so that right there is the best news any sinner could ever receive. Okay, but there's a problem. Now we come to chapter six. There's a big problem. The problem is that there will always be people who abuse God's grace. The problem is that there will always be people who will selfishly exploit God's amazing grace in order to justify their lifestyle of habitual sin. And so their reasoning goes some, and I never, I never could understand this, but their reasoning goes something like this. You know, okay, so what does God have for great sinners? Greater grace. Okay, and so forget, I'm gonna forget about pursuing holiness in my life. I'm gonna forget about pursuing Christ in my life. I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. If God gives great grace to sinners, I'll sin even more so that I can receive even more grace. That's what some people think. And so I'll continue to party on the weekends, at the clubs, I'll continue to get drunk on a regular basis, 
I'll continue to have sex outside of marriage, right? I'll continue to view porn because I know that even though I'm sinning, Pastor Mike just said it, I'm gonna receive greater grace. And so I'm not gonna worry about my pride or my anger or my laziness or my selfishness or my lack of character or my tendency to gossip because I know that I will be the recipient of greater grace. How do you think Paul's gonna respond to that kind of reasoning? Well, let's check it out. Chapter six, verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Okay, everybody help me out with the next two words. Go ahead. There's your answer. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Your first point, if you're taking notes, God is gracious, but he won't tolerate a lifestyle of habitual sin. He won't tolerate it. Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? King James Version, God forbid. New King James Version, certainly not. NIV, by no means. Holman Christian Study Bible, absolutely not. The New American Standard Bible, may it never be. The Spanish translation, de manera ninguna, right? <laughs> I don't care what version you're reading, I don't care what language you're speaking, Paul's message is the same, and that is that God is gracious, but he will not tolerate a lifestyle of habitual sin. You say, man, what happened to grace? We're in chapter six now. The grace is still there, but don't abuse it. And it all hinges on that word continue. Did you see the word continue? Go ahead and underline it in verse one. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. The verb continue in the original language is in the present active tense. And so it speaks of the ongoing practice of sin. Okay, and so here's clarification, right? Paul's not talking about the guy or the gal who sins, feels bad about it, confesses it to God, and then asks the Lord to help him to change. It's not what he's talking about in Romans chapter six, verse one. He's talking about the guy or the gal who sins, feels bad about it, but then suppresses the guilt, and then justifies his sin or her sin, and continues to practice the same sin. That's what he's, do you guys see the difference between the two people there? Paul says to those who are continuing in a lifestyle of habitual sin, why in the world would you ever take advantage of God's amazing grace? Is that really your response to God's grace that you're just gonna continue to live in a sinful lifestyle? He says, no. Look at verse three. Or do you not know that as many of us as were, please underline the word, baptized, in the original language, it's baptizo. So don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ, here it is, was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what kind of life? Newness of life. Next point. 
The Holy Spirit has immersed us into Christ and united us with him in his death and resurrection. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Romans 6, 1 through 14 is something that you, you ought to know it backwards and forwards. You ought to know it like the back of your hand because the principles in Romans 6, 1 through 14 will really help you walk in newness of life. But you gotta know, and Paul keeps saying the word no, no, no. In other words, the person that never reads their Bible and then loves Jesus and tries to live for Jesus is fooling himself. You got to know. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll say this every single week, but you got to go out and get a a good study Bible. You got to be in that study Bible every single day. You got to be renewing your mind in the word of God. Otherwise, your flesh is gonna dominate you and you're gonna live in a way that's displeasing to God. You got to know this stuff. This is why we teach through the Bible at Calvary, because we want the people to know. If you don't know, how can you live? Okay, and so the Holy Spirit, here's what you need to know, has immersed us into Christ and united us with him in his death and resurrection. When we placed our faith in Christ, something wonderful happened, okay? We were spiritually immersed into Jesus Christ, okay? When we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we were spiritually united with the eternal Son of God. You say, how did that happen? It happened by the Holy Spirit. Lots of stuff happened when you placed your faith in Christ. Some of it, man, we'll be be learning more about in all of eternity, okay? And so, by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit took you when you put your faith in Jesus, and he united you spiritually with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12, 14. For by one Spirit... All were baptized, baptizo, immersed, submerged into one body. That's the body of Christ, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. Okay, again, the word baptizo in the original Greek language means to immerse, it means to submerge. So let me say that again, 1 Corinthians 12, 14, for by one spirit we were all immersed or submerged into one body, that's the body of Christ. I love 1 Corinthians 6, 17. It says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Isn't that awesome? He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. That means that when you placed your faith in Christ, you became one spirit with Jesus Christ. So if here's Jesus and here's you, When you turn from your sins and you put your faith in Jesus, this is what the Holy Spirit did spiritually. This is all before water baptism, by the way. I'm getting to that. But as soon as you put your faith in Christ, here's you, here's here's Jesus. The Holy Spirit took you, your spirit, and immersed you, submerged you, made you one, united you into the spirit of Jesus. That means that when Christ died, you died. That means when Christ was buried, you were buried. That means, best news of all, when Christ rose from the dead, you and I rose from the dead. So why in the world are you continuing in sin? If that's true, why in the world are you allowing your sin nature to dominate you? Why in the world are you blowing your testimony with a bunch of lost people who are watching you because your life is the only Bible they'll ever read?
You see how important this is? And so, hey, now water baptism illustrates this. Everybody say illustrate. It shows this. Water baptism illustrates outwardly what the Holy Spirit already did spiritually inside of us. And so after you placed your faith in Jesus, I hope you follow the Lord in believer's baptism. After you put your faith in Jesus, I hope you stood by the water. I hope you were immersed in the water as a public declaration of your faith. Lots of people in the last three months have been receiving Jesus for the first time as their Savior and Lord. Okay, the first step of obedience in your life is to be baptized by water. And it's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. The question you gotta answer in your mind and heart is, have I been baptized? Everybody please say the word since. Okay, so have I been baptized since I received Christ as my Savior and Lord? It's not a suggestion. Jesus, the risen Jesus, for 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension, he appeared at various times to his disciples. One of the appearances, he said this. He said to the risen Christ, right, before he goes up to be with his father, he says to his disciples, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Here it is. Baptizing them. Baptizo in the Greek. Immersing them. That's what he said. Submerging them. That's what he said. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity. One God, eternally existent in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's Orthodox Christianity, ladies and gentlemen, for 2,000 years. So you baptize them, you immerse them, you submerge them um, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Some churches sprinkle people. Other churches pour water over people's heads. At Calvary, we immerse people. We want you to take the plunge. Now, we immerse people for at least three reasons. Because of the New Testament word for baptism, because of the New Testament example, and because of the New Testament illustration. Why do you dunk people, Pastor Mike? Why do you submerge them? Because that's what the New Testament word means. Baptizo, immerse, submerge. Why do you baptize? Why do you dunk? Why do you submerge? Here's why. Because that's the example given throughout the New Testament. When Jesus was baptized, this should be good enough, right? When Jesus was baptized, I read it this morning in Mark, it says that John the Baptist brought him up out of the water. That, that means he dunked Jesus into the Jordan River, and then he brought him out of the Jordan River. Later on in Acts 8, you see that Philip dunked the Ethiopian eunuch. It says that they went down into, he didn't sprinkle him, he didn't pour water over his head, he dunked him. He did what the New Testament word says. The third reason that we immerse people is because of the illustration in verses three and four. Look at it again. It illustrates, remember, outwardly what the Spirit has done inside spiritually. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptizo, baptized in Christ Jesus, 
were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was, what's the word? Raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And so when you're baptized here at Calvary, here's what's gonna happen. The pastors are gonna take you and they're gonna bring you down underneath the water. That illustrates your unification. Is that a word, unification? Or am I doing a George W. Bush thing here, right? Is that a word? Help me out, English teachers. All right, thank you. Woo. All right, so the pastors are gonna bring you under the water. That's gonna show your unification. Um, because we're, uh, I'm a unificator, that's why. But anyway, <laughs> it's gonna bring you under the water. That's gonna show that you're unified, you're one with Jesus in his death. Everybody say death, yes. right? And then they're gonna hold you down there for at least a minute to make sure it takes. <laughs> like, ah. Uh. Some of you guys are thinking, no, I'll never be baptized in this church, ever. <laughs> no, we have a church policy. It's we always bring you back up immediately, okay? And so we take you under the water. That's you're, you're becoming one with him in his death, and then the pastors are gonna bring you up out of the water, and that shows that you have become one with Christ in his resurrection. A lot of times, right, that's good news. A lot of times you'll hear an elder or a pastor say, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Let me tell you something, sprinkling does not illustrate that. Pouring water over somebody's head does not illustrate that. But it, immersion illustrates that. We do not sprinkle babies. You say, why not? So much of the church is sprinkling babies. Here's why. Because it's not in this book. Right? This is our final authority for all matters of faith and practice. We don't sprinkle babies. Well, what if that baby dies? Won't that baby go to hell? No, when babies die, they go immediately into the arms of a loving heavenly father. They don't know the difference between right and wrong. They don't know that they're sinning. They go immediately up to, to, to be with the Lord, okay? And so let's not develop a doctrine thinking that babies are gonna go to hell unless we baptize them, so we gotta sprinkle the babies. It's not true, it's not in this book. Okay, we don't sprinkle babies, we immerse believers. The reason we immerse believers is because the New Testament teaches that baptism follows belief. Get this, please. Baptism always follows belief. Whenever you read about baptism in the New Testament, first the person gets saved, then they follow the Lord in believers' baptism. It's never, the, it's never we sprinkle a baby, then later on they get saved. It's, it's not taught. Ladies and gentlemen, an infant an infant cannot believe. An infant doesn't have the faculties to believe. Why are we baptizing them? And so baptism follows belief. If you haven't received, I'm sorry, if you haven't been baptized since you made a choice to receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, we wanna provide you with that opportunity to follow the Lord's command. And so our next baptism celebration in the middle of your screen will be on Saturday, April 30th at 11 a.m. right outside those doors on the courtyard. That is preceded by a baptism class, which is Sunday, April 24th at 8.45, just so we make sure that everybody knows what they're getting into. And here's what the pastors are gonna make sure. 
They're gonna make sure that you have received Christ as your Savior and Lord. And then you follow his command, you go to the celebration, you follow him in believer's baptism. The way that you can sign up if you have not been baptized since you received Christ is you take your Get Connected card sometime today, um, it's in your program, you fill it out, you check baptism, the baptism box on your Get Connected card. On your way out, there's wooden tithe boxes. You drop them in, drop your Get Connected card in one of those wooden tithe boxes um, as you're leaving, and then Pastor Bob, his team, will contact you with all the details concerning the class and the celebration. What you need to know also is that our baptism services here at Calvary, they're not a religious ritual, they are a celebration. It really is like a party atmosphere. There's foods, there's food, there's drinks, there's, there's non-alcoholic drinks, by the way. Uh, food, there's drinks, there's music, right? There's lots of cheering for the people who are being baptized. It's a festive atmosphere. Why? Why would, why would we do a religious ritual? We're identifying with Jesus and his resurrection. Hey, isn't that something to be happy about? Man, we should, it should be a party atmosphere. We should be clapping our hands and cheering the people as they follow the Lord and believers baptism. So before we move on to verse five, let me say one more thing. Baptism cannot, will not, will never save you. Baptism does not save, it shows. It shows outwardly what the Holy Spirit has already done inwardly. Does that make sense to you guys? All right, look at verse five. I hope you obey the Lord's command. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his, what? Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his, what? Okay, so again, Paul's hammering it. This is what Paul does, right? As, if you, as you've noticed in Romans, he keeps hammering, hammering, hammering because he's a great teacher. He knows you gotta repeat, you gotta repeat. Okay, and so once again, he says that when you placed your faith in Christ, okay, the Holy Spirit took your, your spirit, immersed you into Jesus, you became one with Jesus in his death, and you became one with Jesus in his resurrection. So here's Paul's game plan in verses six through eight. He's gonna talk about how we were uh, united together with Jesus in his death, and in verses eight through 10, he's gonna talk about how we were united together in Jesus' resurrection. So let's dig in, verse six. Knowing, you guys see the word knowing? <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, just answer this in your heart. How many times did you read the Bible this past week? If you say, uh, out of seven days, Pastor Mike won, okay, you're not knowing. <laughs> it should be seven out of seven. And it should be a study Bible. And, and as, I'm, as I'm telling you this, the Spirit's moving in my heart because some of you guys need to hear this. You have a Bible, you don't have any study notes from good, solid, evangelical men explaining the verses on the bottom, and you're reading, and you're, you're trying to figure it all out. You gotta get a study Bible. And so he says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died 
has been freed from sin. Next point, if you're taking notes, our sin nature was crucified with Christ so it would stop dominating our lives. This is the passionate call, plea, right? Herald of the Apostle Paul in these two verses. You gotta know this. Your sin nature was crucified with Christ so it would stop dominating your life. Now I wanna go deeper on a couple of these phrases, so look at verse six again. Knowing this, that our, please circle the word, the, the two words, old man. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin, that's your mortal physical body. By the way, um, everybody just look at me real quick. Okay, your, your mortal physical body is not sinful. The skin is not sinful. Sometimes Paul will talk about the flesh. He's not talking about your skin or your body. Um, your, your body is not sinful. Um, some people have this, this whole belief that material things are sinful and immaterial things are not sinful. No, God created material things. He made physical things. Is God the author of sin? Your body's not sinful, your body's neutral. So your body will either be dominated by your sin nature or your body will be dominated by Christ. Okay, so let's look at it again. Knowing this, that our circle old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be, please circle the two words, done away. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Okay, so let's define our terms here. Uh, the next point. Uh, old man, that's your sin nature. Done away, blue letter Bible, means to, this is what the Greek phrase means, to inactivate, to deprive of force. Now notice that your sin nature and its dominating of your body, that that's done away. It means it's inactivated, it's deprived of force. Notice that the original word in the Greek language does not mean to annihilate. That's a big one there, I gotta emphasize that, okay, so you guys understand. Done away does not mean annihilate. It means to inactivate, it means to deprive of force. I love the way the, the Holman Christian Study Bible uh, translates Romans 6.6, 6. listen to this. For we know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished or inactivated, deprived of force, so that we may no longer be slaves to sin. And so here's what Paul's saying. Your sin nature, it's been crucified with Christ. It's been inactivated, it's been deprived of its power, therefore, our physical body should no longer be a slave to our sin nature. Is this making sense to you guys? If your sin nature's been crucified with Christ, if it really is inactivated, if it's really been deprived of power, why in the world are you allowing your sin nature to dominate your physical body? I'll, I'll try to illustrate it this way, okay? Imagine that ISIS, um, attacks a city in the Middle East and begins to rule over it, okay? So everybody have that picture in your mind. 
They come in, they attack, they kill a bunch of people. Now they're there, they're in the city. It's their city. They're dominating the people. They're oppressing the people. That city is made up of a bunch of slaves. They're all the citizens of that city have been forced into forced labor by these rebels. Good news or bad news? Really bad news. By the way, it happens a lot if you've been reading the news. But then imagine if the US Army is deployed into that area and they attack the city and they take back the city, they defeat ISIS, they conquer ISIS, they run ISIS out of town. Okay, then imagine this. You gotta get the whole illustration here. Imagine that the US Army builds a military base in that city. And then imagine if they join um, the, the forces of the local government, right? And they, they form a coalition. And so now in that city, that city's been freed from ISIS. They've been run out of town. There's a military base there. There's a, a coalition of forces there. And not only that, the Americans commit to stay in that city to protect the people. Good news or bad news? It's good news. But there's a potential problem. The problem is that ISIS has been deprived of its force. It's been inactivated, it's been run out of town, but it is not annihilated. Okay, get this. The problem is that they're still out in the bush. They're not in the city, they're not enslaving the people anymore. Now they've been pushed out into the bush but here's the problem, they're still in the area and they're still from time to time engaging in guerrilla warfare. And so when citizens kind of venture out of the city, they gotta deal with all of that kind of stuff, okay? And so the good news is that ISIS is no longer in a position of strength, now they're in a position of weakness. The bad news is they're still present in the area, but the best news of all is that the power of the forces, uh, the, the, the strength of the coalition forces there on the military base in the city is so strong that ISIS will never, ever, ever dominate that city again. Are you following this illustration here? Okay, so let me apply it now. Just like ISIS dominated the city in the beginning, so you and I were dominated by our sin nature in our B.C. days, before Christ's days. Our sin nature dominated our lives. We were slaves to sin. This physical body, which is neutral, during those days, it was a slave of sin. But just like the U.S. Army entered the city and conquered ISIS, so Jesus came to our rescue. We turned from our sin, we received Christ, and then it wasn't just a little prayer that somebody repeated after a pastor, no. It was a, a change of life. All of a sudden now, God, the Spirit, came inside of us and gave us a supernatural power that we did not have before. Right, the same, check this out, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. Okay, so that's, that's really good news. But the bad news is this. Our sin nature is still present. Our sin nature has not been completely annihilated yet. That's gonna happen at the resurrection of our body. 
The good news is our sin nature is no longer in a position of strength. Now, because Christ lives in us, our sin nature is in a position of weakness. And so as long as we're yielding to the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, staying in the city, sin cannot dominate our lives. Does that mean I'll never sin? I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is sin, sin does not have to dominate your life. Now, how many of you guys believe we all have a free will? So if we decide to venture out of the city and surrender ourselves to the rebels out in the bush, then we're gonna have problems. By the way, why would you ever do something so foolish? By the way, why in the world would you ever want to be a slave again to sin? Again, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Now, does that make sense to you guys? Okay, so sin nature, not annihilated, deprived of force, inactivated, run out of town, so to speak. There's a new power, there's a new sheriff in town. We don't have to be dominated by sin anymore, but you got to know that. If you're not reading your Bible, you don't know it. Look now at verse eight. He says in verse eight, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also what with him? Live with him. Here's that word again, knowing (laughs) that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon, calculate, it's a a mathematical term in the Greek, count yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Next point, if you're taking notes. Since we've been united with the risen Christ, we should walk in newness of life. Okay, so check it out. When we turn from our sins and place our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes us, our spirit, and unites us together with the spirit of Christ. We become one with Christ in his death and his burial and also in his resurrection. Christ has risen from the dead. Death has no more dominion over Christ. Now he's living unto God, okay? And so this is good news for us as believers in this life and in the next life. Okay, so if you're with me, say amen here. Don't don't tune me out here. You gotta get this. Let's start with the next life first. If you are one with Christ in his resurrection, that guarantees that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. That means, right, that when the trumpet sounds and we're translated up, what's gonna happen is we're gonna receive a new resurrected, glorified body. When he shall appear, we shall be like him. Christ has a glorified body. Death no longer has dominion over him. We will have a glorified body. Death no longer will have dominion over us. That's good news in the next life. Our glorified body will be indestructible. It'll be eternal. You'll never have to worry about getting sick. You'll never have to worry ever, ever, ever about dying ever again because when he shall appear, we shall be like him. The best news of all about that future resurrection, that rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter four, you can look it up later. Okay, the best news of all about that is at that point, 
the sin nature will be completely annihilated. Thank God for that, right? Sometimes people say, well, you know, free will in heaven, what if I choose to sin like Lucifer choose to sin? Here's my personal position. Um, you're not gonna wanna choose to sin. You're not gonna have a sin nature. Now, this good news for the next life, but this whole being one with Christ and his resurrection is also great news for this life. It has amazing uh, practical uh, conclusions Right, for our spiritual resurrection. How many of you guys believe that you've been spiritually raised with Christ? Let me see your hand if you have, okay? Those of you who aren't raising your hand, uh, if you've received Christ, you can raise your hand because you have, okay? Just take my word for it. There's been a spiritual resurrection inside of you. That's where we get the term born again. Are you born again? That's, just, that's not just something they say in the South, that's something Jesus said in John chapter three, okay? And so are you born again? Have you been spiritually raised with Christ? Okay, so, hey, we can walk in new life now. We can have a totally changed life now. Here's where some of you guys really gotta listen. We don't have to be dominated by our sin nature now. We don't have to be. We can be dominated by the Spirit of God and we can bear the fruit of the Spirit. You know, what, you know what can characterize our lives? Not fear, not anxiety, not worry, not a critical attitude, not gossip, not you know, porn, not all the other junk in life. You know what can characterize our lives now? Love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness and meekness and self-control, that can really dominate our lives. If we're experiencing that new life now, if we really know that we become one with Christ in his resurrection, if we're filled with walking with the Holy Spirit. Have you guys ever seen the bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven? Do you know that only tells half the story? Christians aren't perfect, right? Just forgiven. By the way, I think it's kind of funny that some people have that as a bumper sticker on their car because for some people, nobody in this church, nobody in this church, for some people who don't go to this church, they have that um, kind of as an excuse for why they cut people off in traffic and why they speed, right? I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven, okay. But anyway, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. That only tells half the story. We're not just forgiven. We're changed. We're completely changed. Why? We're one with Christ, not just in his death. We're one with Christ in his resurrection. You know, don't get stuck between Good Friday and Easter. Live in Easter. Walk in newness of life. Allow the spirit to dominate your life. And so nobody, nobody can become one with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection and not be changed. Now, you may say a little prayer in a church service and think you have fire insurance and then continue in sin. Let me tell you something, it didn't take. It did not take. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Have you been changed, right? Okay, so here's the question. Do you hunger for God's word? Do you have any hunger at all for the word of God? Yes. 
Do you thirst for his spirit? Do you have a desire to pray? Do you wanna be with God's people? Do you have a burden for the lost? Do you have a heart to serve? Do you have a heart to give? Listen, if none of that's going on in your heart and life, you gotta ask yourself, right? Have I really been saved? Or did I just say the prayer? You say, well, Pastor Mike, I understand this whole resurrection life thing, but the sin in my life is so strong. Is it stronger than the power of the risen Christ who lives in you? Is it that strong? Can we stop making excuses for our sin? Right? Can we stop using that cop-out? The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. Okay, the reason your sin is so strong, here's why, if you're honest, is because you've walked away from the city and you've surrendered yourself to the rebels in the bush. And now you're enslaved to sin again. Can we just be honest? What do I do? Turn around and run back to Jesus Christ. Present yourself to him. This is what he says, right? In verses 12 through 14. Look at it. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Now, okay, I'm gonna, please look at me. This is not in the notes, but I'm gonna say it. Right now, some of you are letting sin reign in your mortal body. And you want people like us in leadership at the church to excuse it. You want us to accept it. You want us to accept the fact that you're gonna continue in sin and we had better show you grace or this is a harsh, critical church. No, no, no. Do you see what Paul says? Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. There's no excuses. Now again, I'm not talking about the person who sins, feels bad, confesses it to the Lord, and asks Jesus, help me never to do that again. Please fill me with your spirit. Help me to tap into the resurrection power that lives inside of me. Help me accurately, to accurately represent you. And then he forgives, and he hugs you, and he restores you, and there's grace. I'm not talking about that guy or that gal. I'm talking about the person who sins, feels bad, suppresses the guilt, and then continues in the same sin. He says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Stop. You say, I can't stop. That's a cop-out. If you're really saved, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you. Tap into the power. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Here it is, but underline the word, present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members, the members of your body, as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. They've been run out of town. They're living out in the bush. They're operating from a position of weakness, okay? Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. I'll explain the law of grace thing next week, but here's what I wanna end on. Here's your last point, okay? Here's what you got to do. All of us have to do this. 
present yourself to God as his servant. That's what he just said, present yourself. That means, Lord, here I am. I present myself to you. In other words, Lord, I dedicate to live the rest of my life for you. Please use the members of my body, not as instruments of unrighteousness, but as instruments of righteousness. And so God, I present my eyes to you. Help me to see what only you want me to see. I present my, remember the members? I present my ears to you. Help me to hear only what you want me to hear. God, I present my tongue to you. Help me to say only what you want me to say. I present my hands to you. Help me to serve like you want me to serve. Help me to give like you want me to give. I present my feet to you. Help me to go where you want me to go. My life from this day all the way until the end of my life, I present it to you. Please use it for your glory. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com and click on Knowing Christ.